0: Passive income isn't passive. Let's put that out there. I wish it was called like leveraged income, but no one knows what that is. But in reality, it doesn't. it's not passive straight away. So you create an asset of any kind and then you make money from that over and over again. So instead of you trading time for money, it's about creating an asset that lots of people can have at the same time.
1: Lisa Johnson is an internationally renowned business coach who beat all the odds and went from being a shabby kid living in the projects to creating a massively successful passive income coaching business. She went from thousands in debt to millions in revenue in just three years. But hers is not an overnight success story.
0: I was at this point pounds in debt. It really crept up because I was still you know, having to feed two kids. So I was at this point where I was like, okay, here's the rub. You are either going to have to give up and just know that you are going to live hand to mouth forever. Or you need to make this business work.
1: My name is Ina Coveney, online presence expert for online coaches. And in this interview, we go way back into Lisa's childhood days. And she shares what being bullied at a young age taught her about grit in adulthood. I also asked her about the one thing she did differently last year when she achieved $2 million in revenue from a single launch. Don't miss those lessons coming up. Also, we had to cut the interview shorter for the podcast, but if you're a huge Lisa Johnson fan and you follow her on Instagram stories, you know that she has a very unique set of twin boys and I asked her about being a mom to two amazing kids one of whom has a very unique sense of style. Warning there will be tears. To get that full interview go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut and get access to our exclusive uncut interviews. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, head over to the review section where you can leave a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with the passive income queen herself, Lisa Johnson. This is The Global Phenomenon with Ina Kovani, the podcast where the self-made
0: teach you to stop waiting to be discovered and prepare to be found.
1: Hello, everybody. Today, I have somebody that I've been following for a while who is just an amazing entrepreneur that you need to know about. Her name is Lisa Johnson. Lisa, it's so nice to see you here. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm, I'm pleased to be here.
1: I am so excited to talk to you because um, we actually share a little bit of our childhood background and we're going to get into it. Uh, but first, why don't you tell everyone what you do and who you serve right now?
0: Sure. So what I do is I help entrepreneurs add in passive and semi-passive income streams like memberships and courses to their revenue streams. Um, And I've been doing that for about three and a half years. Um, And I'm also a mum of twins. So yeah, that's kind of what I do. And I I travel a lot. (laughs) That's me in a nutshell.
1: You have become basically known for being the passive income queen but it didn't start out that way this is not something you started doing like right out of college or in your 20s or like so we are going to go through this journey i i want everyone to understand it but first we're going to start way back childhood time so um I did a little bit of research and, um, you know, you were in something that is called in the UK Council House, which in the United States, I guess, would be equivalent of housing projects, right? Yes, exactly. Government housing for low income, uh, low income individuals. And you had a lot of bullying issues when you were growing up. Um, When I saw this, I'm like, "I I need to pause here and ask you about it. Can you fill us in? What was it like growing up where you did?
0: Yeah, actually, it was really good at the beginning, because I think when you're really young, like before the age of 11, I didn't know we didn't have any money. I didn't know we were in poverty. I I think that no one really knows at that age. You just go to your friend's house and you don't look at your friend's house and think, oh, that's a big house or that's a that's not. You just don't care about those things. It was only really when I was 11, my parents split up. And I was brought up by my single father, um, and my sister and brother. And at the exact same time, I won a scholarship to go to an elite private boarding school. Now I didn't board; I was a day pupil. But I accepted the scholarship, it was a full scholarship, didn't have to pay anything. And then when i was there it was very very obvious right from day one that i was different to everybody else and and i hadn't known up until that point um but you know i i got called nicknames right from day one um they could tell that i was in a second-hand uniform i didn't you know i probably didn't look great i i like i didn't have anyone to teach me how to groom well so i didn't have like amazing hair or anything like that and they all did they were wearing makeup like 11 and 12 in this I had no clue. Like I was so behind. Um, but also they all got picked up in their like Porsches and I got picked up on the back of my dad's Honda motorbike. Mm-hmm. So it was a really weird time. Um, and that's when the bullying started. And in that school, it was all girls and, and girls can be vicious when there's somebody that's a bit different. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of coped with it up to a point because it wasn't physical. It was all or emotional bullying but i mean that on its own can be can be pretty tough to take when it's a whole class um and then when i was about 14 i asked my dad whether i could move schools because i couldn't take it anymore and i said could i go to the like just the local normal school and it was a mixed school and he said yes so i was like great this is gonna be a new start everything's gonna be different now my first day um they all started saying oh aren't you the girl from the the posh school like aren't you the girl who who has loads of money because she went to the boarding school and it was so not who I am but they didn't know that Mm -hmm. um and so that started and then on day I think it was day two uh I saw a girl being bullied and stepped in because because I'd been bullied I couldn't walk you can't walk past when you've had it happened to you and so i stepped in and was just like hey there's like five of you there's one of her and that put a target on my back for quite a long period of time um so yeah it was um it was a trying time and this was worse this bullying because for the next two years it was boys and girls who were a bit older a bit more physical um and so it was a bit more difficult and it ended really just after i turned 16 I was on my way to the school bus and one of the girls who is in like the sixth form above me held a knife to my throat and while that was bad the thing that has stayed with me isn't that it's the 20 or so classmates jeering her on in a circle round us it was really hard but I don't even remember how I got out of the situation like I think I've completely blocked it out but I did get out of the situation but I didn't really go back to school so I didn't leave with good qualifications and, and that kind of thing
1: yeah I am um, I'm on my I'm on the verge of tears just because uh uh you know having also grown up in an environment where it's just not not ideal um it I have a million stories that I could share I'm sure we will both just end up crying here yeah but um yeah kin- kids can be uh, you know the way kids can be I I grew up in Venezuela I was I changed schools I had friends I mean I I was like great up until second grade and then third grade we changed schools because my parents thought this would this would be a better school and um changed schools and it I I couldn't fit in kids just seemed older to me they they just seem like bigger than me and i'm i'm a little person anyway <laughs> i'm very yeah. short anyway and kids just say mean things they turn the entire classroom against you they like they do and they don't know though they
0: don't they don't realize the impact it's going to have on you for right. your entire life entire they just life. think it's then and it's still now and and whenever i speak to anyone that's been bullied at school it's had some impact either bad or good um minors now i've turned it to good but It had a really bad impact on me for a long period of time, like through my first marriage when I was 17 and and, and lots of other things. um, I attracted bullies and even now online, I attract bullies really easily, Um, but I've turned it around so that actually I make that work for me.
1: Uh, Why don't you just tell us a little bit about what is Bullies Out?
0: So Bullies Out is a charity that I partner with here in the UK that uh, they help. Not just the, the bullied, but also the bully to, to be educated and the bystander. And I specifically like that they talk to the bystander because mm-hmm. I think that actually more damage happens from those bystanders than it does from the bully. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they've been doing this for a long time. They're very good at what they do. And I do things like inspiration days where to raise money so that they get more money to be able to educate because that's what it's all
1: about. That it's amazing. And we're going to put the link to it uh, below amazing. so that everybody can take a look at that. And um, so since we're just in the topic of like you growing up in this environment and really like wanting like escape bullying and leave it behind. Um, can you tell me just a tiny bit of where your love for travel is? came in so this is something that you've been you've made very intentional for like once you like started making the money and started getting your free you're like okay then i'm traveling and <laughs> since we're talking about like your childhood days i was wondering where that came from where that 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 mission to like i'm going to travel when i have money
0: where that comes yeah from? i think where it first came from because i'm half maltese so the only place i ever went to growing up was Malta, and i only did that like three or four times backwards and forwards um and i never went anywhere because we couldn't afford it i remember our holidays we used to have to, there's a newspaper in England that if you collect a number of tokens throughout the year, you can book a holiday in a holiday camp for £9.50. And so that's what we used to do every year. We used to collect the tokens and we'd go on this caravan park. And um, that's where we'd go on holiday. But I always saw, especially when I was in the boarding school, all of my, not friends, but all of my classmates talk about these places that they would go to in the sun and you know these amazing experiences they would have around the world and it just captured me that you could get you know how small that school actually is when you can see the world then anything that's right really near you is tiny and it doesn't really matter and so I always wanted to travel never could (laughs) like didn't really travel until I was in my 30s and then when I started making money in my late 30s, that was when I was like, okay, now I can travel. And I'd go to a few places and then I'd just be like, I want to travel in luxury all of the time. And that's a big driver for me because now I get to go first class with my kids to amazing places. Just today we booked the Maldives um, first class in this amazing place. And my kids get to experience all those things that I didn't get to experience. And that's what it's about for me. I, wanted, yeah. I want them to see the world.
1: That is amazing. So now we're going to go back to your story. Okay, but we we're supposed to start from the from the beginning. All right, <laughs> we've covered childhood. I have like phases of your life, <laughs> and uh, the next phase is going to law school. And uh, um, this is something that, you know, from, from all the research, the vast research I have done on your life, this is a part that always gets like kind of skimmed over. I I went to law school. I was an investment banker. uh, Then I was a PA in entertainment and I tried actressing for a while. So I just want to like, just take that and and find out exactly what was going on there. So tell me a little bit of, Law school, investment banking, being a PA, being an actress. Are you on IMDb? Like, I want to know more about yeah, it what was this crazy. Space of your life was like.
0: Yeah, it was a crazy time. So, I'll tell you how it started. It gets bad before it gets good.
1: Tell me. <laughs>
0: so, how it started was so I, I went and got married when I was just turned 18. That turned into a nightmare situation, three years of that. And then I got out of that relationship and hadn't worked, had never really had a job. So I'm like early twenties or mid twenties. And the first job I get go into, I get bullied again by a group of women and I actually get fired because he said that my boss told me that it's safer to fire me than to fire 20 people. Wow. I know. And I, and even then I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure law wise, if I knew about the law, I could do something about this, but I don't. And, um, I went home that night and, um, it was the lowest I've ever been. It was like I didn't really want to be alive anymore because I, you know, I was living in this one bedroom bedsit. I'd got, I'd been divorced before I was twenty one. I'd been bullied my entire life. I'd now lost the first job that I'd ever had, and it wasn't even a good job. It was like forty pounds a week kind of a job. And what so was the job? I was a admin person, sort of like office junior admin person in a factory.
1: Okay,
0: so it's you know, I had to start at the base level because I didn't have these qualifications. And so I then went home and, and was I, I got some pills, I got a bottle of wine, and I was going to end it. And mm-hmm. a small voice, and I know it was me, I know it was just my own internal voice, and you know me, I'm not spiritual in any way, um, but this little voice was like, well, what if it's wrong? You know, what if they're all wrong? What if you will make something of yourself? What if you won't be poor forever? What if, you know, you can make a difference to the world? What if you do end up looking better than you do now? All of these things. And I thought there's only one way to know, and that's to test it. And so I was like, what test can I give myself to prove to myself that I can be something? And I thought, what's the hardest thing? And I thought, well, I've, I've never even done like hardly any qualifications. So why not get a degree? <laughs> Which is a random thought to have. But I was like, I wonder if I could get a degree. As a mature student, is there a way to do it? And then I said to myself, what's the hardest degree to get? And so I researched it and it was medicine or law. And I really didn't want to do medicine and because I'd I'd had this, you know, this guy that had had sacked me. I thought it could be useful to have law. And so I decided to sign up for law school, but not go because I needed to support myself in the day. So how I did it was I got another PA job, like an office junior PA job, nine to five. And, every, and I signed up and they would send me all the books in September that I would need for the year. And I would study. I would go home every night after work and I would study for three hours in this bed sit for four years. I didn't do anything else. Didn't go to the pub. Didn't have fun. Didn't make friends. Was just like, I am just going to do this to prove to myself I can be something. And I'd go and take the exams every May. And after four years, I was one mark off the highest that it could possibly be. And so I proved to myself that I could do it and then realized very quickly afterwards, I really didn't want to be a lawyer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can I just say that is an amazing thing to have done. So um, I I don't know, I, like, I relate to that so much because there are times I'm like, I'm just going to do it just to prove to myself that I can That's do it. it. You, you chose something that was really hard and you're like, I'm just going to do it because I can. Now, if you've been able to do that, you can do anything. That's um, what it taught me. I that remember, if I could do
0: that, could do it. Exactly.
1: It's, it's, it's almost like, like childbirth. Like, if I can do that, <laughs> I can pretty much do anything.
0: I think oh it's about God. being laser focused, isn't it? And I think yeah. that when you've been through bullying of any kind or any kind of adversity, you are more likely to push through some things that other people might go think are too hard because nothing seems as hard when you've been through that. And I'm doing a TEDx talk next year. And it's about that. It's about using adversity to fuel your success, because I think it really can, instead of kind of make you feel like you can't do anything and have a bad impact on you, I think it pushes you to do mm-hmm. things that other people wouldn't do, mm-hmm. um, which is a good thing, like use it.
1: <laughs> right. And I, I love it. You, Jason, you're doing a TED Talk. Every time somebody tells me how bad they have it, I like something that really terrible happens, to I'm like, this is the beginning of your TED Talk. Every right. TED talk starts with, uh, with tragedy, with, um, you know, n- being down in the dumps, like this is just the beginning. That's now, a- there's no way to go but up from here.
0: I love that. That's yeah. such a, such a good point.
1: Yeah. So what did, so you finished your law school? So I did and you're that. Like, and then I was it?
0: like, what should I do now? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I then decided to go into investment banking. Yeah. Because I knew I wanted to make money that was my aim. And so I went into investment banking um, and climbed the corporate ladder to get to where I wanted to be, which was risk analyst, business analyst. Um, But then while I was doing that, it was quite a boring job. It was a, you know, it was a, there was a lot to it and you, you had to be pretty smart to do it, but it didn't fulfill me creatively in any way. And so while I was doing that, I did quite a lot of acting work. And so I did like music videos and I would do like the odd film or I would do a bit of TV presenting and things like that. And while I really enjoyed that side, unless you really make it big, you don't make any money. So I was in this like middle ground of if I do this, I'll feel creatively like happy. But if I go and work in the investment banking side, I will make money. Mm -hmm. So it was I was always just on the fringes of both and not putting everything into either But carried on with the investment banking. And then it was there that I accidentally got pregnant with twins. Mm -hmm. So that's why I then had to leave that job because I was working from six o'clock in the morning to ten o'clock at night. And then Mm -hmm. I had, you know, I, I, I did think I'll have the twins and then I'll go back to work and everything will be just as it was before, except for these two little cute accessories. And it did not happen, you know, obviously they become your whole world without you even realising it. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to be away from them as much as I was being. And so I had to give up that job that I'd worked really hard on this ladder to get to and go and get a job near my house. And the only job I could find near my house that was like nine to four so that I could see the kids, um, they were five months old at the time. And the only job I could find was PA again. And so I was like, full circle, I'll go back to being a PA it meant that I had to slash my salary by like over I mean I think I was on something like 60 or 70,000 at the bank and then I was on like 20,000 so it was like a huge thing I was getting divorced at the time for my second husband so there I was going to be a single parent with five month old twins and a job that barely supported us but there was no other option at that point and so I was used to, by them rewriting my story, I'd done it before, I knew I could do it again. And so ha- I started thinking maybe I should start a business. But I was one of those people that I didn't know anyone that ever started a business. Right. I just didn't know anyone. So I was like, well, I don't know how you do it or anything, but I'm just gonna give it a go. And so I decided to become a wedding planner. Mm-hmm. And I set up this business in wedding planning. And it, Why?
1: You know, Why wedding planning specifically?
0: Because it helped me with the creative side because everything I was doing wasn't creative. So I wanted something that was creative, but I was good at organizing, which is why I was a PA. It was good at planning and, and I liked parties and I liked cake. And so I thought this would be a good, good solution for all of those things, but I didn't know anything about business. And so, mm-hmm. although I did 13 full plan weddings, amazing weddings that year, um, I got a new boyfriend as well that year, which is great. He's now my husband. And we sat down at the end of the year and said, right, how, can I leave my nine to five job? And it turned out I was making one pound fifteen an hour in the wedding planning because I was so bad at business. Um, I just didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I was undercutting everyone. I was discounting left, right and centre, all of the things that you do when you don't know about business. And so I was at this point, pounds in debt. It really crept up because I was still, you know, having to feed two kids so yeah I was at this point where I was like okay here's the rub you are either going to have to give up and just know that you are going to live hand-to-mouth forever but you'll see your kids you'll have your your nice boring nine-to-five job but you'll see your kids or you need to make this business work but to make this business work you need to get some advice from someone that knows about business and that's going to cost you even more money and you know I am what that person that kind of thinks if you've spent thirty thousand you may as well spend thirty five and um, you know, I paid for a business coach, and that business coach taught me all the basics—the real basics I should have known.
1: Let me ask you something before we get to your coach, because I this is this is a part where things like get start to get turned around. I want to stay just for a minute in the wedding business you have said before that you made every mistake under the sun that anybody can make in that year we're doing wedding can you just tell us a few like specifically of those mistakes that you're like I would have would have never done that if I had known better
0: yeah my immediate thought was if I am the cheapest person out there everyone will come to me and I will make more money that was the first mistake the second mistake was I don't care I don't want a niche I don't want an ideal client. I will do anyone that wants to get married to any kind of wedding. So I had no, no idea on niching. It just felt like pigeonholing. I just didn't want to do it. Um, mistakes around money. I had lots and lots of money mindset issues because yeah. of my childhood. Yeah. And so I thought rich people were bad people because of all the kids at school that were rich. I didn't want to be one of those bad people. I didn't realize I had these thoughts. I thought that people from where I come from don't earn the kind of money that makes you rich all of these things were stopping me from getting where I really wanted to be um I just had no strategy I was just doing stuff and hoping it turned out okay like marketing I would just throw money at it and go well surely this will work and it didn't and I was like why didn't it work let's try something else and there was no evaluating there was no working out what actually was working so yeah there was a lot wrong (laughs) yeah but it did turn around and um within probably about five or six months of us really niching down to the kind of weddings i really wanted to do which was like warehouse weddings people that were um you know they didn't really want a wedding they just wanted a big party but they were getting married at the same time um real creative types and so we really niched down in our branding and everything and it turned it around and within five months we were fully booked for a year and a half with huge budgets, like amazing budget weddings with my exact ideal client. And we became known as the. And my, my husband now joined with me, like left his job to help me in the wedding business. And I left my nine to five and enabled me to leave my nine to five. And um, yeah, we became the, the most well-known urban wedding planning company in the UK.
1: Which is incredible. And now you got yourself a coach. She's helping you, she or he?
0: She, for, she, she helped me for a month. So she yeah. basically downloaded her brain onto me yeah. for a month.
1: And then the wedding business is booming, right? Yeah. And you start to think, well, this is still taking up a lot of my time, right? At that
0: point, I wasn't even thinking like that people were just the only reason I became a coach is organically like I I did weddings for a couple of years and people were coming to me saying in the wedding industry saying how have you managed to make this work like I'm still not able to make a profit I wasn't making a huge profit you don't in the wedding industry it's probably like 50 to 70k a year I wasn't able to pay off my debts or anything like that Mm. I was still like but I was making money and I didn't have to do a nine to five and so people were asking me how And so I started telling them the things that I had learned. And some of it was stuff I'd read in books. By this point, I was a bit of a self-development junkie. I'd listen to every webinar. I'd download every PDF. I'd listen to different people and what they were doing and try and work it out. And this is where my analytical brain came in handy because I could see what they were doing. And so I would see if I could do it that way. And I would see what worked and what didn't. And then I'd tell other people. They started making more money. And then people not in the wedding industry were coming to me saying, oh, my friend said that you helped her with her business. And then they started making more money. All different types of people. And so I was like, there's something in this. Right. (laughs) I feel like I might have a gift for being able to make business uncomplicated. Yeah. And to be able to take the jargon away and just explain how it is.
1: Where did the online world come in? You could have continued doing this locally. You could have just had your local Facebook ads or whatever, but why the online world? Where did that come in?
0: So once I decided, okay, I am going to become a business coach and I'm going to help all these people, but get paid for it rather than help all these people for free. That's when I came online. And so then I started to do some online work, but within a year, and it was great, you know, within the first six months in, in Lisa Johnson coaching, I'd made six figures in the first year I'd made 220,000. It was beyond my wildest dreams. What could happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I gave my wedding business away to somebody. We did a competition um, to give it away to somebody because we were going to sell it. And We interviewed all these people that wanted to buy it and they would have given us quite a lot of money, but none of them cared about wedding planning. They just cared about money. And this is my baby and I didn't want to give it away. So I was like, that's not happening. So instead, we decided to do a competition for somebody that financially couldn't afford to run a business um, and wanted to skip five years and have everything ready, like the portfolio and the SEO and the branding and everything. And we gave it to somebody who's amazing. She's still running it now. very well. Her name
1: is Tisha Braid. Yeah. And she actually took your courses. She's actually a client of yours. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, she's she's doing brilliantly with it. And she then went off with that. And so I was able to spend all this time on coaching. But Mm -hmm. the problem was after the first year, I was like, this is all very well and good. But I can see that I've hit an income ceiling and I'm working from six o'clock in the morning again to 11 o'clock at night. I'm still not seeing my kids. So how has this helped? Yes, I have more money and I've paid off all the debt, but now what? And I thought there must be another way. And so I started studying again. What are other people doing? How are other people scaling? Started learning everything I could about passive and semi-passive income streams, And then I started to just slowly add a couple in, like add a few in one at a time, see what worked. I'd take a course. And all the courses out there were like, would like tell you a tiny piece of the jigsaw. And then you'd have to go and buy another course, which would tell you another bit of the jigsaw. And I was doing all these courses I spent quite a lot of money learning passive income. And then within a year, I'd gone from working 60 to 80 hours a week, earning 220,000 to earning well over a million the year later and working 30 hours a month. Incredible. And I realized this was the way. And then... I'm only three years in now, just over three years, but I've scaled that to three million a year, um, and still thirty hours a month.
1: So can you 15. can can you tell us? Because this is like oh wow, like you wouldn't have been able to imagine you were going to get here, and you actually just had a two million dollar launch yeah. earlier this year, and I was there, I was watching you it. Watched I was, it. <laughs> I, I, was, I was in awe of everything. But I'm like I can't believe this. So can you tell us when you started learning about passive income? Um, first of all, can you explain to everyone what passive income really means? Yeah.
0: So passive income isn't passive. Let's put that out there. I wish it was called like leveraged income, but no one knows what that is. So we still call it passive income, but in reality, it doesn't, it's not passive straight away. So you create an asset of any kind and then you make money from that over and over again. So instead of you trading time for money, which is what most people do. So most people would say, okay, uh, I'm going to work with this person and they're going to pay me. Then I'm going to work with this person and then they're going to pay me. Instead of doing it that way, it's about creating an asset that lots of people can have at the same time. And there's lots of different types. So if you think about things like courses, memberships, workshops, drop shipping, um, even having an app is passive income. Like there's affiliate marketing, there's all these different ways of doing it. But I found that the quickest ways and ways that pretty much everyone can do because we all have knowledge that we don't realize we have that other people want is courses and memberships. And so they're the ones that I've really studied deep on. And they're the ones that I now teach and have taught over 2000 people in the last couple of years to do. And honestly, some of the people even surprised me. (laughs) Like I teach in the same way to do things because I realized I was doing things the same way. Mm. But there are people that have made like £600,000 from a membership in like the theatre mm-hmm. that, that they blow my mind because they do exactly what I tell them to do. They don't question it. They just go and do it and then they make the money. And I love that. Like the trust that people put in me to be able to get these results um, just lights me up. And it's why I do what I do. And I absolutely love seeing people and their lives just completely change as mine did.
1: And I think everybody, I will put the link in the description. I think everybody needs to go check out your course. What would be your first, like if people are like, okay, this sounds interesting. If I want to do something about it, where would you send them to? And I will ask you this question at the end. Again, yeah, yeah. But I, since we're in the topic, what should people do if they want to learn more about this from you?
0: So the best thing to do is I have a little five minute quiz called the cash calculator. It's on www.thecashcalculator.com. It's nice and easy. And you go on there and you answer some questions and it will tell you where you are, whether you're ready for passive income. Cause not everybody is, but it will tell you if you're not ready, what you need to concentrate on next, which part of the jigsaw, if you like. Um, and then you'll be in my world that way. And I'll be, be emailing you every week with my random stories.
1: I love it. So People are listening. We have online coaches who are listening and at the edge of their seat, they're like, wait a minute, passive income courses, memberships. What would you say is the top three things they should be doing next if they want to do passive income?
0: Yeah. The first thing is to realize you are an expert in something. An expert is the person that knows the most about a particular subject in an average room. So all of you are an expert in something. Somebody else needs what you know. And that could be anything. Like, don't think to yourself, oh, that has to be like what I'm doing in my business. That could be like how to get around Disneyland quickly in a day. That could be how to potty train twins, like, you know, how to be fit when you've just had a baby, whatever it is. Um, or it could be a, a business thing. But you need to know what you're an expert in and decide that's what you're going to become. The second thing you absolutely must do is grow an audience. And this is the bit that most coaches leave out because it's the hardest bit. And so they'll teach you how to write the course and how to launch it and how to write the sales page. But no one talks about the fact that you haven't got anybody to sell it to. So grow the audience. And and I'm a, a big advocate for that. And, and I grow audiences quite quickly and I now teach how to do that. So grow your audience. And then the third thing to do is make sure you learn how to launch properly because a lot mm-hmm. of people have amazing courses and they've got a big audience and then they come to me and they say, Well, I told my audience and no one bought it. I'm like, Well, how did you launch? And they said, Well, I just told them, Come and buy my course. It's like, right. No, no, no. Like, we're really savvy now online. Like our clients are really savvy. They've been burned by courses online before. You need to like show them that they can trust you. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are the three main things I think. And be consistent with whatever you do. There's a lot of in our world, and I'm sure you you know this, there's a lot of going out there, trying something for about two months, getting a bit bored, doing something else, looking at someone else who's doing something that seems to be better, a lot of shiny object syndrome out there. When actually business is simple if you just stick to one thing. Yeah.
1: uh, Yes, I actually just sent an email to my audience. Like, I don't know when this episode is actually going out, but I just sent an email to my audience expressing an incredible amount of frustration at the fact that this past year, I've basically been doing the things that make me happy, right? I love coming and nurturing my audience, right? But I'm not doing enough to go out there and grow it, right? I'm, I'm just like doing the things that I want to do. And then no. I I launch one thing and then I'm like, okay, well, that was it. Next project. Launch another thing. Next project. It's just like, okay, but I'm not actually sticking to like one thing and testing it and making it work. And you having had a $2 million launch, that doesn't tell me. It was like, okay, I just got 2 million more people in my audience in the past year to sell to. It's like, you know, there were some people that were there already, mm-hmm. plus your audience growth. What do you think was the secret? Secret sauce to your success in this particular launch your two million dollar launch what did you do there that people need to know
0: a few things but honestly I there is a bit of luck I mean COVID helped. let's be honest like everybody yeah. suddenly needed to make passive income that wasn't making passive income and although yeah. I'd been banging on about it for a couple of years and people right. were a bit like yeah I'll do that at some point suddenly they went oh I see you know this is what right. you mean by diversify your income stream so there was a bit of that um, but what I did was I used affiliates this time for the first time ever. I hadn't used affiliates before. I used Facebook ads for the first time ever. I didn't use a single Facebook ad until I had already made a million dollars. So then I said, well, now I've made a million dollars, let's try it with Facebook ads. That definitely helped. I got really clear on the last two or three times I'd done the same course, because this would be the seventh time that I've launched it. So all of the times before. Instead of just selling, I wanted to make sure that people got results. So when people didn't get results, I asked why. So I saw people between module two and three sort of stopping and not going much further in the course. And so I was like, what, what's wrong? And they told me, this tech stuff is really hard. Like, I know I need a funnel, but I'm finding it really difficult to do. So in the next time we launched it, we gave them a funnel like we brought in a tech team to make each of them a bespoke funnel, automation themselves as part of it so that they didn't have to do it. That got people going. And so then people got stuck on like module eight and we were like, okay, now what? Like we've given you everything you could possibly need. What is stopping you? And they're like, honestly, we're really motivated at the beginning, but life gets in the way and you know things get a bit tough when you're doing things for a long period of time. So we were like accountability pods. On the next one, we'll put accountability pods in. We did that and that's made the difference. So now people are going all the way through. And when people finish something, they get results. The problem is that most people that start something don't finish it, whether it's a course or a program or whatever. So we sort of force them to so that they get results.
1: So that's what you mean when you say take one thing and make it work is the continuing to launch it, continuing to tweak it and finding out, okay, what's wrong. And let's fix it and continue going. We change
0: it every time. We don't just change the course every time. We change how we launch it every time. You know, we change, we we play with things. We see what works and what doesn't. Not everything works. Some things don't work and that's okay because it teaches us the next time.
1: Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for teaching us all of these lessons and I'm going to put your links below. Um, Can you tell me one thing? What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have a view as a successful online entrepreneur?
0: It's really frustrating, but I think that whenever there's a woman that has made a lot of money online, people assume they have to have trodden on, on other people to get that, and that they can't have integrity. They must be shrewd in some way. Mm-hmm. I'm not shrewd in any way, and I have loads of integrity. And actually during the last launch, when people tried to book with credit cards, we told them no. When people said they were taking out loans to do it, we told them no, and we made it very clear across all platforms that we only wanted people to book if they financially could afford it. Um, and we do quite a lot to make sure that the the known pitfalls in this industry, of which there are a lot of people just out to make money, weren't being done, so that people could see. I wanted to show a ripple effect that if we can make two million dollars in complete integrity. Not with hard, pushy sales, only accepting people in if we thought they were ready, then everybody else in the industry can too. Like, mm-hmm. we're, and it is already having that ripple effect, which I'm loving. Um, yeah. Because we don't need this industry to be tarred with all of this bad rep that we've got. It can, We can still make money and do the right thing. So that's the biggest misconception. People think that everybody who has done well in, in this industry must have been bad in some way to do it.
1: Yeah. And finally, if the whole world was listening and they had to do what you're about to tell them to do and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would you tell them to do?
0: Start growing an audience. Whatever it is that you want to do, you're going to need someone to sell it to. So start the process of being online and showing up consistently to grow an audience. Like tomorrow, go and open your Facebook group.
1: Got it thank you so much. So Lisa, this has been amazing. There were so many more things that I wanted to ask (laughs) you about. I could have been here for another hour, but in the meantime, where can people go and follow you and be part of your world?
0: Yes. A couple of places on Instagram. I'm at Lisa Johnson coaching. Um, Be prepared that I'm very real and raw on stories. So if you don't like seeing people drunk or doing stupid things, possibly best not to follow me there. Um, or, The Fabulous 5%, which is my Facebook group. I'm in there quite a lot as well.
1: Awesome. We'll put the links there. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been a pleasure.
0: No worries. Really nice to
1: talk to you. Hey there, Ina here. After this episode, you may be wondering how you can also achieve the kind of success that our guest has experienced in their entire career. So hit follow and subscribe to catch me on Thursday for a brand new lesson on how to grow your coaching business, even if you have a small audience. And if you'd like to hear the full interview with all the details that only the super fans care about, get free access to all of our uncut interviews by going to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And I'll see you on the next one.
0: Thank you for listening to The Global Phenomenon with Ina Kovany. Join the conversation inside the Facebook group at theglobalphenomenon.com slash Facebook. Listen to new interviews every Monday and learn with the companion episode every Thursday. This podcast was created by Ina Coveney, music by Jared LaBelle, and this was the voice of Kip Clark.